This is the Kakaro Garden Podcast, and I'm your host, Kiju. This is the podcast for flower farmers, helping you to grow and educate you as a flower farmer. Today, we're going to be talking about seed starting. Uh, now that it is the new year, I'm sure a lot of you are excited and uh, just ready to get out into your fields here, but uh, for most of us, it's a couple more months of waiting until the fields are really kind of uh, ready for us to work and the soil is kind of warmed up, so... If you've been following us at all on the Facebook group of flower farming or have been reading up on any of the books anywhere from the cut flower farmer to um, multiple other texts, you know that this is a great time to be starting a lot of the plants that we call hardy annuals. Um, these are the plants that are very winter hardy, able to endure frosts and freezes that occur for most of it this time of year and really do well uh, establishing themselves during the cooler weather of the year and those are the seeds that we are actually going to be starting now for us they're going to be the species like sweet peas uh, nigella uh, daucus carota all of the kind of almost perennial sort of or biennial sort of species that endure a, a winter really well once hardened off and these are the seeds we need to be starting now in order for us to really have them get a good establishment uh, before the heat of summer starts coming on which will be for us around about the end of may so in order to get a good establishment period and then allow good time for them to flower and produce uh, we'll need to start them now so what I wanted to kind of talk about today is the idea of starting hardy annuals, and um, but also about seed starting in general for the flower farm and why it's a very, very important skill to have. So I would say probably about oh, 30% of the work you do as a flower farmer is seed starting. And the reason for this is that our number one priority as flower farmers is to produce a volume of material uh, for selling basically and it doesn't matter if you're selling to florists if you're doing wholesale accounts if you are selling directly to your customers in the form of arrangements or bouquets uh, or if you're doing wedding design it is important for you to have a good volume of the materials that you need so that's having enough of the foliage to do your centerpieces that is having enough filler to really bulk out your bouquets it's having enough focal flowers to ensure that you're able to you know make those arrangements or to have enough of those cafe lait dahlias to sell to your florists so really as far as volume it's one of the most important things that we strive to achieve as flower farmers in order to ensure a continual volume of uh, material to basically keep our cash flow going in uh, coming in from sales of those flowers so seeds are really the best and most economical way for most flower farmers to achieve that um, if you look at seeds compared to plugs or plants uh, there's really not much of a comparison there seeds are going to win out every single time uh, for the price of a packet of seeds, you would only be able to buy, you know, a couple of plugs or maybe one very small established plant here. With the reason being that, you know, it takes money and resources to grow those plugs and those plants. You have the advantage of those plugs and plants already being started and establishing far more quickly and blooming earlier than you would with starting with seeds. But uh, for some plants, that makes sense. Say, you know, if you're doing roses for example and you want to grow a very specific variety then you purchase the actual rose plant you don't start it from seed 
Um, if you're starting plants like, let's say, eucalyptus or lisianthus, which require a very long growing period and can be tricky for a lot of uh, growers overall or may not be worth the hassle for you, you definitely may want to look as far as buying plugs for those plants. But if it's something like zinnias or larkspur or bachelor buttons that grow very easily and readily from seed, really buying that seed and starting it yourself is the best and most efficient way to get a large uh, volume of floral material, which is again our goal as flower farmers. So seeds really have helped us to first start off as a flower farm and get the volume that we needed. Um, and seeds are really kind of magical to be honest. It's these tiny little, you know, round hard objects or in some cases like foxglove is more like a kind of dust that you sprinkle onto soil, add water, heat, light maybe, and then they turn into these living photosynthesizing growing organisms that then go on to produce flowers. I mean, if you think about it, this this inert, seemingly like dead object that has more in common with a rock than it does with the actual plant in a couple of months becomes this beautiful blooming plant that is the life force of your business. I mean, it's actually pretty incredible if you think about it. And being able to start seeds, um, having a good system, understanding your seeds and what they need and how to grow them into plants is one of the most valuable things and most important things that you can learn as a flower farmer. So not only is volume uh, important as far as starting from seeds, but also important too is the fact that there are a lot of species out there or varieties out there that you can only get from seed. Uh, even if you wanted to, I don't know if you'd be able to buy most of the, f the species and varieties that we use as flower farmers. Take for example uh, the queen series of zinnias, uh, queen red lime, queen blush with lime, queen blush orange. A lot of these zinnia varieties are not going to be found at your nursery as starts or plants or uh, can't even really be ordered in as plugs. Um, aside from the fact that zinnia seeds are so easy to start, you're not going to find these varieties commercially available for you to buy as plugs. There's also the fact too that uh, we a lot of times are going to select our varieties for very specific colors. If, for example, you're growing for florists and you're trying to grow a lot of the very pale blush colors, you know, peaches, salmons, creams, and ivories, you're definitely going to have to start those plants from seed because a lot of these varieties, as far as colors go, and uh, really kind of planning for those specific colors if you purchase them in a, you know, let's say a mix or something like that. Uh, as far as plugs or plants go, you're not going to get the same colors, at least not in the quantities and volume that you need. So that's, for example, why, you know, a lot of people will buy very specific colors, strains, and varieties in bulk. Um, say, for example, like the bronze Chantilly Snapdragons, people will specifically buy seed for that color alone. And really kind of, you know, buying that seed is the only way that you're going to get that amount of color in that volume. And there are also other plants that you can only really get from seed. Uh, most of these would be perennials or more obscure species. Uh, for example, we really like to use uh, a type of native salvia called salvia azuria here. 
uh, in some of our larger arrangements. It has a very kind of long sky blue spire of flowers that adds this really kind of wild feel and texture to arrangements that we use them in. It's only really available as seed. We can't really uh, buy plants except when a local nursery has them in stock. So it is the easiest and um, really kind of only available way that we can really kind of ensure that we have enough of this this uh, plant. And you'll find with a lot of uh, rare perennials especially, seed may be the only way that you can get a hold of them and uh, grow them yourself for your farm. So um, just kind of some things to keep in mind as far as reasons why you want to be starting from seed. Now there are also reasons why you may not want to start uh, maybe everything from seed too. Uh, I talked about previously that there are some varieties that are harder to grow from seed. Um, notorious ones would be eucalyptus uh, with an average germination rate of about 40 days uh, for your seeds. That's going to be a long time of you really stressing over, you know, is my eucalyptus starting to germinate or are they just sitting there rotting in their cells? And at what point do you decide to scrap it and at what point do you decide to start another flat? That That's a good question. Um, it can be very frustrating, especially for um, someone with limited space or maybe who's new to starting seeds and it can be very discouraging. So um, another one would be Lysianthus with a really, really long kind of grow out time. Um, snapdragons too, uh, poppies, all of these who have like 120 days of establishment basically of growing from seed until they would start blooming. Um, a third of a year really kind of, you know, babying plants may not be the thing that most people want to do. Uh, so in that case, buying plugs is ensuring that you get a really good um, guarantee that you're going to have those plants for this next year. So especially if you're planning on having Lysianthus or Eucalyptus as part of your your crop plan for 2020, definitely think about maybe buying plugs for those and uh, then you can focus your seed starting efforts on the rest of your crops. Another thing too is that uh, there are some people who may not have the space or ability to actually start seeds. Um, let's say that you're you're renting on your plot of land and you don't really have a place to start seeds and plugs would be the easiest way actually ordering them in to get those plants established because you are going to need them in a quantity that you can't uh, do if you're direct sowing so for example uh, buying in foxglove plugs uh, digitalis would be actually a great idea if you're not able to start those from seed um, at your home or at the, the place where you're actually growing. And lastly, there are some people who definitely order plugs. I've seen this and I think it's a smart move for them because they are trying to reduce their workload. Uh, April and May are some of the most hectic times of year for flower farmers, so being able to order in plugs of species that you know need to go into the ground at that time you just don't have the time or the space or the mentality to be able to to grow those totally understand it i get it and as a way of working smarter not harder you know um buying those plugs may be a great idea um it's really kind of up to your your business model and your what's priority for you um there are a lot of people who do buy a lot of plugs and there are people who won't buy plugs at all. There's no right or wrong answer, you just have to explore and see if it's right for your business and right for the crops that you're growing. So um, just some thoughts to kind of keep in mind as far as seed starting and um, you know, giving a little bit of thought as far as why you might be interested in growing from seed or not growing from seed. So. 
Um, as far as seed starting goes, you know, there are different systems that different people use. Uh, we currently don't have a propagation house or a greenhouse that we use to start our seeds. We actually start all of ours uh, in an insulated but unheated garage. And that seems to work for a lot of small-scale farmers. If you're growing on a larger scale, you definitely may want to look into having a uh, propagation house or at least some sort of uh, larger structure that gets good light and um, has some insulation as far as that goes. A heated greenhouse, I mean, that's kind of one of those things where it's really nice to have and it's great, especially during the winter month, is if you're able to grow out your plugs and get a good head start and everything. Um, but just note that the heating is kind of the decision as far as whether that makes sense or not. Um, that's kind of, you know, if you need that volume of seedlings, then definitely think about it. Uh, for us, this size seems to work pretty well for us to be able to produce the amount of seedlings that we need. And um, we never seem to really be too crunched on space overall as far as growing under our lights. So uh, as far as lights go, we also use just your standard uh, T12 shop lights. This the kind that you can buy at any big box store like Home Depot or Lowe's and nothing fancy just the, the regular bulbs that we then um, hook up and uh, place on wire racks. Uh, it's a pretty common setup that you'll see for most flower farmers. Um, you don't need anything fancy like LED or um, halogen lights or anything like that as far as growing seedlings. For the most part what I want you to think about is as far as the lighting, it's just to get the seeds started. You're not looking as far as growing out actual large plants for the most part. If you continue to grow under lights, what happens is that those seedlings eventually get a little bit on the leggy side. Uh, they start developing some some problems as far as growing under shop lights. It's best if you can get them out and into direct sunlight as soon as possible so you don't have to deal with big, sprawly, kind of leggy, tangled seedlings. So um, we just basically use the lights for the, you know, just getting a little bit of light onto the seedlings and helping them grow to get the couple true leaves, as well as also actually providing a little bit of heat during the winter. Um, if you have, you know, five shop lights stacked one on top of each other, that top rack does get a little bit warmer than the rest, and uh, seeds will grow and sprout a little bit faster on those. So. Uh, one of those things that you have to kind of figure out what's best for you if you have a very nice propagation house that gets good sunlight and is reasonably warm there you know that's a perfect place to start all of your seeds even during the winter months uh, for us we do just fine with the shop lights and uh, on that wire shelving unit so um, it's all about finding what works for your space you know uh, there's no right way or wrong way of doing it and there are many different ways of doing it as well so uh, those are just kind of two examples of ways of starting your seed there. Now, it's also important to, to know that the seedlings you start now are going to have to get planted out at some point, and it takes a little bit of experience and work to be able to kind of plan everything as far as timing. Obviously, you don't want to be starting zinnias or dahlias from seed now because they're going to be sitting in plugs and trays for the next, what, five, six months for most of us, and they would be terribly root-bound and wouldn't produce great plants uh, by the time you got them actually planted out and it was warm enough to do so without risk of frost. But now is a great time to start, like I mentioned, you know, sweet peas, um, nigella, ami, all those plants that really love a long, cool establishment period. Um, if you can get 
very nice plugs ready to go you know for in a couple of months here they will establish very nicely and that timing will be perfect so what i guess i'm trying to say is make sure that you're kind of planning out your uh growing schedule and seed starting schedule so that you're able to not start them too early but not also start them too late as well if you're starting you know icelandic poppies in april you've kind of missed the window of time as far as allowing them that good period of uh, cool establishment and really letting them grow in a good environment so this will come with time and experience if you're new to flower farming uh, you'll start to understand which crops uh, do best as far as you know getting a start in the winter or starting getting started in the fall um, and you'll kind of figure out the balance as far as your growing conditions and your environment so as far as uh, seed starting equipment goes, I already mentioned our shop lights and our wire shelving unit that we use to house pretty much all of our seedlings here. Uh, we also like to use uh, cell trays with bottom flats. And so cell trays are the little kind of compartmented uh, plastic trays that you fill with soil and then plant your uh, seeds into. Uh, these are great because I like being able to just grab a tray of seedlings and take them out to the field. You can, you know, water them, fertilize them very easily. If you need to um, switch them to larger trays, you can definitely do that too very easily. And I feel that it finds a really good, it forms a really good root system. Uh, I also do like soil blocks. Uh, they work better for certain species than others. And uh, again, it's kind of what works for you. Sometimes I will use soil blocks for certain species. Sometimes I will use cell trays for, for other species. Generally, I find that the, the plants that need a longer growing period, like say perennials or um, eucalyptus or poppies, they definitely do better as far as a cell tray. It just seems to really help to get that root system um, established a lot better for planting out into the field. Whereas stuff that grows really quickly, say like bachelor buttons or uh, status or dianthus, do really well in uh, soil blocks because they grow pretty quickly into those blocks and are ready to transplant out pretty quick. So we also put them into uh, the bottom flats. These look like a you know, kind of deep tray, a couple inches deep here that you can then um, use to bottom water your seed flats. Definitely want to, as far as your your cell trays, you want to water from the bottom for the most part. Reason for this being is that it allows for a very even distribution of water. Um, capillary action in the soil allows it to wick upwards and uh, kind of keep things moist that way. If you overhead water, you may it may appear that you have well watered your soil, but uh, you don't necessarily have the guarantee that every single cell is watered evenly and is fully saturated there. You may find that parts of it are moist and parts of it are not, and maybe the top of the soil is moist, but the bottom underneath could be really, really, really dry. So um, generally speaking, I like to bottom water. There's additional fact too that with a lot of seeds, you know, they may get kind of like um, knocked around or moved around by an overhead stream of water, especially if you don't have a really fine um, mist or uh, drench coming from your watering can or hose. So again, bottom watering is just easier for me. Uh, I find it gives it more consistent results and disturbs the seeds less, but again, find what works for you. That's kind of my, my advice is just experiment, see what works. We like to use Haas watering cans. Um, it's kind of a a staple in our household we are a house watering can uh, <laughs> household but uh, 
why I like them is that they really kind of allow for even distribution of water overall and the mist that you get from their nozzle really works uh, especially for kind of finer seed um, like digitalis or poppies and uh, not getting paid by house to say this but I just really like them if you're looking for a good watering can I would definitely recommend them there but again you know use what works for you couple other things that I usually use when seed starting, um, I usually have a chopstick or a toothpick on hand depending on the type of seed that I'm starting just because it helps to be able to uh, either transfer seeds or to create holes for them there. Uh, the best instruments obviously are your, your hands and your fingers. Um, if you're trying to singly plant very small seeds, I find that a toothpick works really well. You can uh, dip it in some water to kind of get it moistened and seeds will then cling to the toothpick there and I kind of use a rolling motion to spread the seeds onto the soil afterward. So for example, if I'm doing something really small like, um, again, digitalis, uh, Icelandic poppies, uh, nigella seeds, snapdragons, these are all really kind of harder to handle as opposed to say sweet peas or bachelor buttons that have a nice very large seed that uh, can be manipulated with my hands. So uh, that toothpick really comes in handy for those and it just allows me to again kind of roll it and spread it onto the soil there. If you're using uh, larger seeds like sweet peas or sunflowers or zinnias and you want to kind of get that seed into the soil there a chopstick or um, some sort of dibbler or stick may help to be able to uh, pop a little hole into the soil there and then that allows you to just kind of drop your seed and it makes the seed starting a little bit quicker there so a little bit more on terms of soil blocks here um, we'll do an episode probably just solely on soil blocks and their benefits and their uh, disadvantages I really like soil blocks. Um, again, I prefer cell trays because they're easier for me. I can fill up a cell tray in two seconds, basically just dump the soil and spread it out. Uh, but for some people, soil blocks may make more sense. So we'll definitely get into that in our next episode here. Uh, there are also some seeds that may require a different treatment as far as cold. So. There are some seeds like perennials and certain hardy annuals that require a bit of cold uh, exposure to cold in order to germinate well. Take for example uh, northern sea oats, uh, Chesmanthium unifolium, really great filler plant. Uh, it's a perennial species of grass that has these lovely like oat-like dangling, uh, lovely panicled seed heads. It won't germinate well if you don't give it a good cold period. Um, if you just take the seed and throw it onto soil, you might get, you know, 5% of all those seeds starting, and the rest of them will just sit in the tray and rot. But on the other hand, if you are able to moisten these seeds, um, give them a chill period in a cold, moist environment, which is basically simulating a winter, and then start them, they will germinate very well for you, uh, upwards of 95% germination rate. Uh, this species in particular, we've noticed, does really well with some cold treatment here. Um, other species like Bells of Ireland, uh, Buplerum, Nigella, Larkspur, a lot of these hardy uh, annuals that are very spring flowering do best. Uh, their germination rate increases and they germinate a lot faster when you give them this cold treatment. The reason being that cold treatment for certain periods of time helps to uh, not only physically break down the shell, uh, this kind of freeze-thaw 
Um, cold temperatures really helps to kind of, you know, basically break up the outer shell of the seed, but it also helps to uh, reduce a lot of the hormones in a cell or chemicals that prevent the seed from germinating. Basically what it is, is preventing the seed from germinating if there were just a random warm spell in, say, the fall or early winter when it's too early for the plant to start really growing well. Uh, the plant wants to know as a seed, is it springtime yet? Is it ready for me to start germinating? And for a species like northern sea oats, it needs that period of about 90 days to uh, of sitting in the cold, simulating you know being in the snow and the ice in the winter in order to start germinating in the springtime. And so that's why they have this kind of built-in mechanism to prevent them from starting to germinate too early. So what you can do is you can either uh, simulate this artificially or you can do it naturally. So doing it naturally is kind of fun and uh, actually really easy to do. You simply fill up a flat of soil and uh, place your seeds into there. Make sure to mark them of course so that you remember what type of seeds they are and then place them outside to experience uh, winter in the elements. Uh, you want to do it in a relatively sheltered spot that doesn't get you know a ton of wind that could blow off your flats. Um, but at the same time, you know, making sure that they're exposed to snow, to ice, to rain, to cold, to make sure that they're able to, um, start germinating at the time when they are, when nature is going to trigger them to do so. On the other hand, if you are like me and you like a little bit more control over your planting schedule, then uh, you can go ahead and do what we call cold stratification. And what that means is that you are simulating nature outside but using a very handy readily accessible piece of technology known as a refrigerator so what we do is we will either take seeds and put them into uh, moistened sand or we will put them into a moistened paper towel and put them in the refrigerator and let them chill that way so refrigerator is about uh, 30 to 40 degrees fahrenheit which is the temperature that is actually the um cold that you want. It is the perfect temperature for kind of, again, triggering germination rates uh, through cold treatment. And so it's important that you have a source of moisture for this though. If you just put your seeds in the fridge, they're not going to do much. You need to moisten them. Um, not Don't make them drowning in water but at least moisten them which is where sand or the coffee filter or paper towel will come in handy as far as providing that source of moisture um, the moisture plus the cold again simulates snow simulates ice and freezing temperatures in the winter and what you'll find is when you pull those seeds out of the refrigerator and uh, set them up to uh, start growing they will grow very quickly and very readily so for plants that you have an issue with where you've sowed a packet of seed and you've gotten really low germination and you know your seed quality is good and it should be easy enough to start, you may find you have better results by giving them this cold treatment uh, or cold stratification to be able to help to trigger their germination more uniformly and more readily. So that is it for this week as far as our podcast. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed it and you learned a little bit more about seed starting and are kind of thinking now about where you're going to head this year as far as, you know, starting seeds and starting your farm here. Um, so next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about seed starting, um, specifically soil blocks and, you know, how we use them and 
uh, their advantages and how they are working on our farm. Um, I'll probably call also kind of kind of uh, cover a couple of topics as too as far as uh, specific seed starting uh, needs of certain species. So um, anyway, hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, definitely join us next week here. We're going to go ahead and talk a little bit more about uh germination and seed starting because tis the season so until next week then flower farmers i keep on flower farming and i'll talk to you soon